make sure that I don't forget about that. <laughs> and then I am also going to start recording on this as well so I can get your audio. And uh, give me a mic check really quick. Test, test, test. Perfect. One, two, three. All right. So uh, any any last questions before we get started? Um, no, I think I'm ready to go. Awesome. Okay, so there's going to be a, about a five-second pause, and then we'll jump right in. Hopefully the dogs don't start barking, or it'll be a 15-second pause. <laughs> okay. I'm here today with John Knox. John, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to be here. So John and I met on Twitter a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the idea of of sharing uh, you know, hiring statuses and, you know, you always see companies on Twitter promoting that they're hiring and looking for people. And, and John has an awesome project that he has going on trying to help get people hired and help reveal some of this information. But in talking, we actually found out how he became so well, I guess, ingrained in that. So without any further ado, I'm going to let John introduce himself, tell us what he does. And then we're going to jump into that conversation about how he actually got into the position that he's into today. So, so John, please let everybody know what you do and what you're all about. Sure. So my main job, my day job, is that I am an iOS developer at a small company, a startup that makes software and hardware that measures head impacts. Uh, basically, it's a mouth guard that measures uh, what happens your head when you're playing football or hockey or some other contact sport and then that data is transferred uh, by an iPhone app uh, up to the cloud and uh, also you can of course view the information on the iPad or iPhone in more or less real time. CTE has been kind of a, a big topic especially in the the American football world so to hear that there is not just helmet designers that are measuring these things, but also people measuring it through through mouthpieces and and things like that. That I didn't even know that, that was physically possible. So I, I have a million questions about that, but even in talking, you mentioned like we can't really talk much about it because you're the company is still building the product, right? Yeah, that's right. Um we've uh we're basically been doing a pilot of the technology and kind of tweaking it and revising the product. And um, yeah, so it's still under development, but it's been a really fun place to work. I've been there uh, since May of 2018. So how do you, I mean, because uh, we were and we were talking about this, how do you, like, you know, when Microsoft, you know, they're going to be hiring, they're always hiring, you know, Apple's always hiring, Amazon's always hiring, these, these big tech companies in Washington and San Francisco and New York, they're it's like it's easy to see when they're hiring. Like their their like career page always has like thirty seven entries in it. How do you find the small startup that's working on building a product like Prevent Biometrics? Yeah, so that's a great question, and that kind of ties into uh, one of my side projects, uh, which is mostly concentrated in a Twitter account called Hire an App Dev, uh, which is kind of like career news for iOS developers. So it's I try to have a bunch of information about 
um, how to get a job, how to get a raise, how to interview at companies, uh, how to interview other developers. So you make sure you bring somebody good onto your team. Um, all sorts of interesting information like that. And so, yeah, so very recently I had this experience, like you say, of actually trying to find a new job, uh, specifically so I can move from Austin, Texas, up here to Minneapolis. So you're, you went from Austin, Texas, which some people can like, I would look at Austin as like a tech hub. And so you went from where there were jobs aplenty to Minneapolis, where, I mean, I don't know, are there plenty of tech jobs available there? Like, did, was it, did you like literally just pull, or, you know, pick one out of a hat and go, I'm going to work here? Or, I mean, how was that hunt? Oh, man. So, yeah, on the surface of it, people don't really think of Minneapolis as being a tech hub compared to Austin, but there are quite a few tech jobs if you dig deeper. Maybe not as many as Austin. I'm not sure I can quite quantify that, but there there are startups here, and there's some uh, big companies that deal in technology, companies like Best Buy and Target are headquartered here. There's also Medtronic. Uh, so there's a bunch of interesting uh, larger companies here that, of course, do all sorts of stuff with technology and apps, which is, you know, I, I basically specialize in iOS development, iPhone, iPad apps. Uh, so there, there is stuff here. Um, the process was challenging, though, because I didn't really have many connections up here. I had, you know, a few people, but not a whole lot in the iOS space. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> like if I was moving across, like cross country, like I, I mean Austin to Austin to Minneapolis isn't like a five hour drive. It's a yeah, it's a pretty arduous drive. Um, it's kind of funny though. You can basically, if you wanted to, it's not efficient. If you wanted to, you could take I thirty five all the way up from Austin, Texas, to Minneapolis, which is kind of amazing. Um, it'd probably take you twenty hours, but. Yeah, it was a tough process. It was actually pretty grueling. I applied at a lot of different companies and I got an awful lot of silence from a lot of these companies, which is always awful and a miserable experience. Do you think that that was because you were in Austin or and they were like, oh, there's no way this person's moving or like, why, why would you think the silence? Uh, I think silence because it's pretty typical for companies to have kind of a crummy experience when you're trying to apply for the job and you don't know somebody there. Um, like I said, I, I knew a few people at different companies and I did get interviews that way. Um, but most of the companies I didn't. So I was basically going through the, uh, the website, you know, through the front door, you know, looking at their job listings and then going through the arduous pro uh, process of copying and pasting from my resume into a stupid web form and <laughs> hitting submit and then never hearing back again necessarily. Uh, sometimes I did, but uh, it was kind of, it was brutal. No, I, I absolutely bet that that would be... Uh... A little disheartening even especially because you know for you it's like you're like i i need to make this move i want to make this move 
Um, and I mean, were you already up there before the process or were you still in Austin, like looking for work and then also trying to get hired at, you know, like, were you looking for work and also like looking for an apartment or a house or whatever? And, or was it like, I'm already here and now I have to make a life happen? Uh, it was more that I was still in Austin. I was coming back and forth to, uh, my partner, Jenny had already moved up here for an opportunity and I was going back and forth and trying, uh, attempting to make it work, uh, kind of working remotely at my job in Austin, but that just wasn't really working out too well. Um, I, I thought it was going okay, but my employer didn't care for it. So it was pretty clear that I would have to find something up in Minneapolis. Uh, so I, I could basically, uh, make the move load the permanently and stop going back and forth between uh, the two cities. And, and you, you were successfully able to do that. So that's, that's kind of where I want to turn it to the kind of the second part of this conversation, which is how do people effectively do this? Like, how do you do this successfully? Because, you know, we've talked, we've talked to people who are hiring in kind of the not rural but the non Silicon Valley areas, and I mean it's it's hard enough as it is when you're a business out there. But I can't even imagine, you know, the person that grew up in St. Paul or Minneapolis, or you know, for me like Knoxville, Tennessee, who are who are like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a job as a developer, and they think about you know I want my family to I want to be near family, I want to be near loved ones. I don't want to have to pack up and move out to, you know, a place that's three times the cost of living of where I am now. Like what are some of the things that you notice as you are actively helping people find jobs that, that developers can do to greater their chances of getting hired, even if it means not going to Silicon Valley? Yeah. So you know, it's funny because in retrospect, I just did this and I I love talking about hiring and how to interview and all this stuff. But, you know, in retrospect, I probably could have done a better job because I, you know, maybe in retrospect, I shouldn't have spent so much time going through the front door, you know, filling out applications online. Because uh, realistically, I should have kind of expected that that's not going to have necessarily the ideal results. It's far easier if you can find somebody who can introduce you to somebody who's already in one of these businesses and, you know, make, make a personal connection, uh, you know, talk with somebody on the team that's hiring. Um, if you can do that, then that really improves your chances of actually, you know, getting on the phone with the hiring manager and, you know, getting to whatever the next step is. Knowing somebody helps so much because you just have a little bit more credibility and, you know, there are a lot of kind of unqualified people who apply through, you know, the normal LinkedIn or whatever system they have to accept applicants. A lot of people just aren't qualified. And most recruiters aren't honestly qualified to tell if people are qualified or not. So I think um, getting through that, that wall is, is, is a challenge and becomes a little bit of a numbers game. So if you can, if you know somebody somewhere, you can definitely sidestep that process a little bit and that helps. And I really should have 
done a better job of doing it, but I think uh, it's such a stressful process. I, I kind of, I didn't think enough about it, if that makes sense. No, I, I think that that definitely makes sense. And, and as someone who has, you know, I've, I've worked a few jobs, a few different jobs in my life. And honestly, all of the jobs that I actually liked came from knowing someone that worked there and all the jobs that I was like, I need to get out of here, you know, as soon as possible. Those came from jobs that I didn't know anyone. And I just like threw my hat in and put in an application and, you know, got accepted. Those were, those were the jobs that I didn't like. Whereas the person that, you know, when you know someone that's there, they can, they can tell you about, like, if you know them, you know, a little bit of the work culture, you know, a little bit about what is liked and not liked at the job. You, you can kind of have a gauge an idea based on what you know about the person. But, you know, for you, like you said, you know, you did reach out to people that you knew and, and there was still a lot of nothing. So, I mean, like there, what, what is it that companies can start doing better, I guess? Well, I think the first thing that companies can do better is to make sure that their recruiters, whether they're internal or external, are giving all the applicants a good experience. In my opinion, it's it's rude not to basically respond to every applicant, even if it's just to say, hey, you know, we're looking for somebody who has objective C experience. We don't see that in your resume. So, you know, you're not a good fit. You know, we'll keep you uh, on our files or whatever for future applications. Um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's amazing they don't do that. Um, so many companies don't do that. Some companies will do that if you get to a certain point in the interview process. Uh, for instance, uh, I knew, uh, I've kind of fallen out of touch, but I knew a recruiter at Google and uh, I interviewed at Google years ago for an iOS position. And, you know, I didn't get past the phone screen, but the recruiter is like, hey, you know, most people don't get into Google the first try. Don't worry about it. You know, you know, apply again if you see another opening that looks good to you. You know, apply again in a year. We'd still love to have you. You know, just try again. And I thought that was awesome. That's a great way to treat people. Not like, you know, they're defective or not worthy of a response. It was really great. You know, I like what you said there. It's not like people are defective. You know, I, I and I think that that's something that when you are in the thick of trying to find a job, especially when there is a, a situation that's like, I need to do this and I need to do this soon because it is causing a strain. Like, you know, kind of like you said in your situation, you thought everything was going great, but you know, your boss made it clear like, okay, you're going to either have to stay in Austin or you're going to need to find new work. And that kind of puts a timer on things. And I can only imagine what what you know is going on in your mind but let alone when you have someone who is you know a newlywed or someone who got who was laid off from a previous position and they just because you get laid off doesn't mean that all of your responsibilities get laid off as well like you have to pay That's bills right. so i can i can only imagine how when people apply to a position and they hear nothing back it it is hard. It is really hard. And and as a as a business owner as well, like part of how my business continues to make money is 
we have to go out and we have to pitch to people. We have to grow, you know, gain leads and we have to, you know, follow up on those things. And it's, I would rather have a thousand people tell me no than have a thousand people just not tell me anything because that doesn't help me at all. That's, that's absolutely right. It's, I don't know. It's dehumanizing not to get a response when you're, you know, you're trying to, you're reaching out to make a connection to some company and you get nothing or you get a form letter back. It just feels like they, they don't care about you. Um, it's, it's really odd. It's like you're walking down the street and you say hello to somebody and they, they just walk past you without acknowledging you. You know, one of the things that I, I think that companies also do, and I think you hit the, you hit the nail on the head. Like, don't just say, I'm sorry, but at the time, like you're, you're lacking something like be specific. I mean, and even if it's, even if it's a matter of saying, look, we had 3000 people apply for this position and we had to choose one. So this is what we specifically looked for. And you fell outside the parameters. I can do a lot more with that than I can do with I'm sorry, uh, but at this moment, we're looking at going in a different direction. <laughs> like that's, you know, at least let me know. Cause, cause that's the thing that I see recruiters when they create these job opportunities, like when you go to their website, it'll, it, it sounds like someone, it, I mean, it literally looks like someone just threw a bunch of buzzwords into like a <laughs> shotgun shell and then just like shot at the wall and then whatever was still there, like they just they just threw into a bunch of sentences. They're like, oh, oh. yes. That's, so uh, let's go back to, to one thing you said earlier about the, uh, oh, we're changing, what is it, changing directions or? Uh, yeah. The, so, yeah. God, that drives me nuts because I think one thing a lot of companies do is they, they don't know actually what skills they want to hire for. And so they, they put out some job description that, you know, has just some stuff, their arbitrary stuff. They thought, ah, oh, this is probably what we want. And, but then really there's some hidden criteria that they have that they haven't laid out. And if they just put that in there, they could have basically saved everybody a lot of time. Um, you know, it's like, oh, we want an iOS developer. And, but then you actually interview with them and you talk to them and it's like, oh, we want somebody who does, has advanced OpenGL skills or, or whatever, metal skills, I guess, the more, more uh, modern thing. Um, so that, that drives me crazy because I think a lot of cases that's, they just didn't think through what they actually needed and they didn't write it down. So everybody's time is wasted. And then going back to your gobbledygook on their, their uh, website for the career thing, that drives me nuts too because people who are looking for a job, they really don't care if you're doing, you know, advanced machine learning, blockchain, whatever's like, they, you know, they don't need 12 paragraphs about that. They want to know why would I enjoy working here? Is it a fit for my skills? How are you different from other companies? Those are the key things you want to know. Um, you don't really need to, like, I'm not buying your product. I'm signing up for a career here. So yes, I, I want to know about what you do, but I can figure that out on your marketing pages. For the job, I need to know why why you're different from Google or Microsoft or any of these other companies out there. 
So I, I love what you just said there. Like, I'm not, I'm not buying your product. I'm, I'm trying to like advance my career here. I, I think that that is something that companies, like the tech industry, we're bad about that because it's easy to think that that like a Twitter or a, a Google or Apple, like. Yeah, we probably buy their products. Like we we know what I like I bought a Google product and tomorrow I'll probably have to buy an Apple product. <laughs> like literally uh-huh. these things actually did happen today and I purchased one of them on Amazon. So like yes, I am consuming their product. But not every company is like that. I am not in the market to buy a mouthpiece that tracks, you know, head, you know, any type of head trauma anytime soon like I, I i don't play hockey i don't play football like maybe maybe when the music is too loud and i'm headbanging or something maybe but like i just can't find a good reason for me to be in that market but at the same time the company itself sounds phenomenal like it sounds like an absolute wonderful place to work they're working on a project that although it doesn't impact me directly I want to see succeed because I've seen what happens to people who are, you know, victims of, of CTE and I've seen what CTE can do to people, um, up to the point that literally they can, they can wind up killing themselves or hurting others. And I think it's an important thing and I would love to help progress that. But at the same time, I'm not buying that product. So you have to convince me, like, why is it that I want to work for this company? Why is it that I want to be a member of this team? And I think that more companies, one of the one of the best companies that I have ever applied to, I think I've applied twice and I didn't get um, hired either time, was Buffer. And Buffer does social, for those that don't know, Buffer does like social media management, like you can control how, when and where you send tweets and Facebook posts and things like that. And the reason why it was important to me that like I at least apply, like I, I applied for a job that I was overqualified for. And I applied not because of the job or the role, but because of their company policy, their company culture, their thoughts on remote work, which was something that was important to me, and how the team itself carries itself in the public and to the public eye like how is the company viewed everybody that i've ever talked to from the company has it's always been a very positive experience and i was willing to take a pay cut i was willing to relocate i was like i was willing i like i knew i could climb up into like the position that i wanted to be in i just wanted to get my foot in the door and i think by telling that story companies have a better chance of finding people who are not only qualified but actually fit their company culture and actually will work not just in the the present but they will work long into the future for that company yeah what you just said nailed it i think that just nails it because people when they're talking about recruiting and hiring people they they tend to not think about the fact that the public presence for a company has a huge impact on whether people want to work there or, or not. Um, I mean, there's 
like you, there's probably um, you know a handful of companies that if that company said, hey, John, we want you to interview here, I would probably drop everything and like be like, well, what the heck? Like, I I know people there. I've heard people from there speak. I kind of know their, you know, what they stand for. Heck yeah, I'm going to interview there. No matter what else is happening in my life, I'll probably go out of my way to interview there. Like, you know, if, if someplace like Pixar wanted to hire me, yeah, I'm going to interview at Pixar because that's that's an amazing company with amazing product. And, you know, I read... Um, creativity inc and i thought that was an incredible book like wow what a cool company i would definitely drop everything because they have this amazing public image they they share things kind of about the internal workings of their company so um you feel like you know what you're gonna kind of get from the experience working there but so many other places well it's just back to this the same marketing they give to their customers um which may not resonate with employees unless they're actually using the product. You know, one of the things that, that you did mention that I really liked about that too is, you know, you said they, they actually promoted themselves in the company, like light in the company picture. They, they show what it's like to be a member of the team. That is something that I think companies like, I don't know if they just stopped doing or, or what, but there, there was this this big like mystery around what happened at Apple. Like everything in Apple was like behind this gigantic like steel wall. And I, I keep bringing up Apple. I don't know why. It's probably because I'm recording on with a bunch of Apple products right now. Sorry, but the the idea of like I couldn't tell you whether or not I wanted to work at Apple or not. Honestly, from what I've heard, I have no desire to work at Apple. There's like you can't blog <laughs> like you can't. There's a lot of stuff that you are just not allowed to do as an employee for Apple. And it's all because of a level of secrecy within the company. Now, that has lightened a little bit in the last few years, but it's still a very present thing. And I think that to be considered i mean obviously everybody would love the idea of like oh yeah i work for apple you know i get a discount on everything that would be super awesome but more than anything like the you want your people talking about how awesome your company is like you want people like my (laughs) my my little business that it is like it is myself my wife and um our first partner in in the uk and it was funny because I, I was already tweeting about like, you know, our company has an unlimited time off policy. We're, we're a results driven business, not a time driven business. So whether you work two hours a day or 10 hours a day, we have set goals that we want to accomplish. And if you accomplish those goals, we don't care how long it takes. And people were like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. Now, granted, we're, we're also kind of a startup, so and we're very, very lean, so we're able to do that. Um, everybody is at the founder level, which means you don't get a paycheck. You're just trying to make money. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, it's important that we set those policies now so that in the future, we can still live by those policies. We can't say like, we want everybody here at 9 a.m. and you have to be gone by five. No, like that's horrible. Like we want you to come in, do the job that you were getting paid to do. 
no matter how long it takes you to do it. And if you choose to do more, then absolutely awesome. Now, if, if we feel like you have the ability to do more, then you should be rewarded for doing more. We should be paid more for doing more. And these are all beliefs that I have. And as a business owner, I have the ability to enforce those beliefs. But no one's going to know about J&J Media if, you know, just off of our SEO I mean, I can tell you now our SEO is garbage, but that's just because we're just starting. Like we just got the website up. <laughs> so it's, it's a very understandable thing, but starting from day one, doing the right things, saying the things that you mean, showing what your culture looks like, doing all of that from day one, that way it doesn't have to be hard to find employees. Yeah, that's absolutely right. If if you actually want to, well, if you want to have any culture, you basically need to start defining that with your your very first hire. Because if you just do the default, you're just going to end up with something that's that's arbitrary. Um, you're not going to be in control of that culture. So yeah, I agree with that completely. And the bonus is, as you communicate these things to the external world. You'll get feedback, maybe you'll have debates, but people actually know who you are as an employer and, and what you want and that you actually care about uh, you know, your employees' experience, which there are so many companies that really don't care at all about their employees' experience. They just, you know, kind of emulate other companies and you know, say it's wonderful and great and dynamic and agile and all these words that are kind of hollow. <laughs> If if a company puts agile in its like top level factors, then then just don't <laughs> just just don't hire. Just go to the next company. Because <laughs> I, I think uh, if, yeah. if if a company tells me like we're a, we're a lean agile, you know, company that's focused on synergy and like no 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 I'm I'm out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you get that though like it, it it happens so much and then this isn't designed to be a roast on companies it's it's designed to be like critical feedback of you see like a, a careers page and on the careers page it's always like a company photo like a company portrait of everyone you know in front of their building and then some people playing ping pong and it's like as fun as that looks I'm sure that happens once a year at the company picnic, <laughs> <laughs> like there's not a weekly ping pong tournament. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's like these things, I want to see what the day to day looks like. And, and honestly, every interview that I've sat in on when they ask, they, they'll, they'll ask you, they're like, do you have any questions for us? And I say, yes, yes, I do. I have a ton of questions for you. And I, I look at the person at the lowest level. Cause normally they'll have like the They'll have the, like, not the executive level, but like the manager's manager, your, you know, who your person would be. And then maybe one, you know, a a colleague or someone at at the equal level of where you're working and always go to the person at the lowest level and say, what, if you could describe what your day to day is, you know, what, what does your day look like? What are you doing? What tools are you using? Because I want to know, like, I want to know what it's going to be like from the day-to-day level, not from the, oh, well, you know, as, as the president of the company, you know, we make sure that all of our employees are happy. No, the, the, of course you, you want to say that, but 
<laughs> if if the person that's sitting there next to you that's going to be your colleague, the person that you're going to rely on on a day to day, if they can't accurately and honestly tell you, uh, my my cat decided to jump up on the table. <laughs> hey, can can you move? Can, can can you move, please? Can you? No, can my you? cat. I I can't move. I'm, no, I'm here no, for the purpose. <laughs> well, just either stand still or do you know you're you're fine. But yeah, like if, if that person can't tell me like what <laughs> what their day to day is because of the people that are around them, that's already a red flag. Like I I if I feel like they're have they have to lie about what their day to day is because of their boss sitting right next to them, like that is a company that I don't want to work for. Yeah, that is definitely that's a that's a big red flag. Cause yeah, one it shows that. Yeah, the day day experience is probably not great. And two, there's kind of a uh, messed up power dynamic here where you get in trouble if you say, you know, say something critical in front of your boss. And that's not a comfortable place to work, in my opinion. Um, Your mileage may vary. But yeah, to what you said, I think, I believe very strongly the most important factors for your enjoyment of job are one, who is your manager? So if you're interviewing for a job, you better be sure to interview your manager. Ask them serious questions, just like you said. You know, what is the day-to-day like? How much time am I going to spend in meetings? That's a critical one for me because I don't, I don't want to spend, you know, eight hours a week in, in meetings. That's crazy. 20% of my week is going to go into meetings? No way. I don't want to work there um, unless you have very fun meetings. Uh and, uh, oh, another thing I want to know is, uh, you know, I'm an iOS developer. I want to know, do you send people on your team to WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference, or not? And, you know, if they don't, then I'm going to kind of question, you know, what kind of uh, career path you could possibly have at this company that won't send you to basically the developer conference for, you know, your career, your profession. So, yeah, it's definitely absolutely critical to figure out uh, who your manager is and like you said ask the other employees um, oftentimes in your interview process you'll be alone with somebody who might be your future colleague so that's a good person to ask how do you like your manager and you just you know I recommend that you use some negotiation te- techniques and you ask a question and you just shut your mouth and give the guy time plenty of time to answer uh, to get you know Try to learn as much as you can about the boss. And like you said, ask them about tools. You know, are they going to buy me licenses to sketch or whatever tool I need to do my job? Um, you know, how many hours am I spending? You need to ask all these questions, things that are important to you. So you have to know kind of what is important to you. But uh, yeah, you're interviewing the company you're working for. And, and I think that that's something that people tend to forget that an interview goes both ways. And you really are interviewing, you know, the the company as well, because if the company is not willing to invest in its employees, the company will lose its employees. And and that happens a lot. Hey, what happened to the last guy that had this position? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> now they may not be able to divulge a lot of the stuff, but would you say, you know, hey, did they move into a, you know, did they move into a management position? Did they, um, did they go somewhere else? Did, you know... Like I can tell you now, like the last the last IT job that I held, you know, I took the job from someone who got a job as a manager up in Silicon Valley. So it was like, 
hey, this this position's been empty for some time. Okay, why was it empty for so long? Why didn't you in you know hire internally? Was is there an option to to promote internally? Is that a big thing that happens here? <laughs> you know, and and it's not necessarily you don't you don't, you want to do it tactfully. You don't want to do it like you're you know in your mind you've already made up like I don't want to work here, but. At the same time, you need to ask some of the difficult questions. And the way that I see it, I want to hire someone on my team that is going to ask me difficult questions. I want to hire someone on my team that isn't afraid to let me know that, hey, they don't like this idea. They don't certain things they don't like and certain things they don't agree with. Like, I think that that is more powerful than having someone on your team who is what we would call a yes man. Someone who just says, oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, I'll I'll do that thing. Like, no. If it's a bad idea, tell me it's a bad idea. I might say do it anyway because I'm the boss, but, you know, then we have another issue. But at the same time, I would rather you tell me that it's a bad idea and here's why than to tell me, yes, sir, and then start doing it. And then when it was a bad idea, come back and go, oh, well, I I kind of knew that this was going to happen. Well, then why didn't you say something, dummy? (laughs) Not to be not to be mean about it, but the the idea of not being vocal so many people get angry about the company that they work for because of things that the company does but just like you would tell someone that you're dating if they do something that you don't like you tell them hey i don't like that thing that you're doing because if you don't tell them they don't know that they're doing it so if you at least bring it up (laughs) then you have an opportunity to to correct and Again, that that might be an unpopular opinion, but that's the opinion that I have. And I mean, it's worked out for me. That's right. There's, of course, a small risk that if you kind of, you know, challenge somebody who's interviewing you, that they they won't like it and they won't want to hire you. There's always that risk. But, you know, we're professionals. We're both professionals, allegedly. Um, And yeah, I mean, we... You should be allowed to to challenge each other and ask questions that are pertinent to your profession and career. It's really critically important that, uh, you know, unless you're happy being entirely passive at work, it's important to make sure that um, your boss, your future boss will respect your, your boundaries and be willing to listen to your feedback. Because if not, it's probably not going to work out for you anyhow. Of course, you might really, really need a job, and and that's fine too. We all understand that, but I do think that it's a it's a sign that you're a competent professional when you you um, you're at an interview and you kind of ask the the person interviewing you some some tough questions. I think when I'm interviewing somebody and they ask me tough questions, I always try to answer as honestly as I can, and I respect them more for it because it shows that they have real experience in a job and they've kind of seen what, what works and what doesn't work for them. Um, I think it's, it's really great for them to kind of know the unvarnished truth about the job. So, you know, they can make a good decision. And if they do come to work with me, that they'll, you know, they'll like it and they'll stick around for the long term, hopefully, because they knew what they're getting into. I absolutely love that. And and that's a that's a good point to to start wrapping it up on. So before we jump into the after show, which by the way, if you're not a, a you know, everyone listening, if you are not a member of the after show crew, that means you're not getting the after show where uh, we're going to turn the tables and, and John's going to 
ask me some questions, um, I would highly suggest you do that. And you can do that one of a few ways. And uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so stay tuned. But John, before we wrap up, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to someone who had an interview tomorrow, someone that's interviewing for a tech position tomorrow, what would that piece of advice be? Well, that's the one thing that's, that's tough to nail down, but I'll say that probably the number one thing is basically what we've just been discussing is be sure to have a, a list of good questions that you're able to ask the people interviewing you. Maybe even rehearse those questions, and they don't have to be super sophisticated, but you should, should definitely have them. Um, it's really sad, but a lot of times you'll run into basically an incompetent interviewer who will go through your resume and ask you like five minutes worth of questions for an hour slot, and um, so you just sit there awkwardly looking, staring at each other, unless you have some some questions or something to have a discussion with them about. And I, I think it's really important that uh, in any tech interview, any kind of interview, that with everybody you talk to, you try to have a discussion that is a little bit outside of the interview zone, if that makes sense. You wanna try to make a little bit more of a connection with them. So, you know, if they ask you a difficult technical question, um, answer the question, but, you know, maybe after you answer it, you ask them a little bit how, maybe how they would approach it or, ask them, oh, well, how do you think, what do you think about this kind of approach versus this kind of approach? Um, sometimes I even do that in the middle of answering the question. It's like, well, I could do this two different ways. Do you think it's more important to, you know, for instance, have speed uh, of execution for this problem? Or do you think it's more important to have clarity and readability in the code? Um, are you at all concerned about stability, et cetera? So I think I really encourage everybody to try to make a little bit more of a connection in the tech interview and you know keep it maybe keep it professional but have something to talk about that's not just whatever list of questions that they're bringing along i love that john if you had uh if people want to reach out to you how can they do that uh so probably the best way is to contact me on twitter um my personal handle is wind addict as in addicted to wind and uh if, it, if you're interested at all in uh, iOS careers, then you can follow me at Hire an App Dev on Twitter, where I talk all about, uh, I basically retweet lots of career opportunities. I, I uh, tweet out people who are looking for iOS uh, jobs and kind of talk about uh, some of the interesting issues, workplace issues, like the endless debate about open offices and so on and so forth. All right, so are you ready for the after show? Yeah, let's do the after show. All right, so so at the end of every show, we've we've been sitting here talking for 30, 45 minutes, and we've learned a lot about, you know, in this case, <laughs> our, our personal ideas on getting hired and, and what companies and what developers can all do better. But we didn't really get to know each other. So I like to flip it around, and, and since you're John Knox... And I'm from Knoxville. <laughs> I wanted to uh, aptly name this one the Knox Knox Podcast. So this is now your show. You're the host. I'm your guest. And from this point, the show is yours. 
Oh man, it sounds like a lot of responsibility here. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can ask whatever questions you want as long as you want. I've got I've got a free calendar and it's the weekend, so <laughs> let's do it. Oh man, well, uh, tell me about your your business. I, I want to learn more about your business and uh, where you're trying to go with it. So we we've really got two businesses. <laughs> it's it's kind of fun. Um, the first one is productivity in tech. That is this podcast that is an online platform to help developers not just be better developers, but to be better in general. And so we provide productivity coaching. Um, I'm a productivity fanatic. I love, I've, I've purchased like every productivity app out there. I, you know, you know, and there are tons. Like, it's funny that every time there's a new update for an app, I'm like, do I own that one? And then I go to the app store and it's like, oh, yep, I own that one. Okay. And then, (laughs) so like, I know the philosophies and Scrum and Agile and all, all of those things. And I've learned that we get so caught up in the, the day to day that sometimes it just helps to have someone from the outside, look in and say, you know what? What if you just did this? <laughs> just point out, you know, the one or two little things. I like to say it's the it's the Pareto principle of advice. I don't come in and try to completely overhaul your system. I just point out a couple of things that like, hey, maybe instead of doing this thing this way, you can try to do something that way. So what we're putting together is a, a little package of coaching, which is basically a month of coaching that you can buy in blocks. So and what that looks like is you have like the the basic level block of we talk once a week and then we also chat online, you know, almost every day. And I'm helping keep you accountable for the things that you're doing and, and helping to keep you motivated and, and devoted to the idea of I'm going to be better. Whatever it is you're trying to be better at, I'm going to do better. And then... You know, after that month, you can look at purchasing a, a separate block that's going to have, you know, probably less physical, you know, less phone calls on that one. But we continue going down that progress until either you or I feel like, you know what, we've done all that we can, <laughs> you know, and then we just we we throw it up in the air, send out a prayer and say, hey, you know, hopefully someone will catch it. But that's the first business. It's, it's productivity coaching for developers. And then the second one is actually a media company, which is. Uh, J&J Media. And the idea behind J&J Media, which can be found at J-A-Y and (laughs) J-A-Y dot media. um, The idea of that one is we also understand that you shouldn't be trying to do everything. You know, our, our motto is focus on creating while we focus on your creativity. And the idea with that is we want to help you promote the thing that you're doing whether it's by helping you put together a podcast, a YouTube channel, or just a weekly newsletter. We want it, We want to help you promote the thing that you're doing that you enjoy doing so much. Um, as a podcaster, I, this is one of four podcasts that I'm recording actively and one of three that actually has episodes that come out regularly. So as a podcaster... <laughs> I understand how much work goes into podcasting, whether it's, again, the cat, (laughs) whether it's editing, whether it's uh, coming up with content and topics and, you know, even doing transcription work and and all of these things, hosting, like when people come to me and say, I want to start a podcast, I always was like, are you sure? (laughs) 
<laughs> like because there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot that goes into YouTube channels and there's a lot that goes into, you know, writing, you know, making a blog. And our goal isn't to do all those things for you. Our goal is to do the things that don't involve your creativity. So you need a newsletter put together, we'll help you make a newsletter template. We'll even follow that template and, you know, publish the newsletter for you. If you, you're doing a podcast, we're not going to record the podcast for you, but we will be the producers behind the scenes. We will be the editors that put it together and make it sound good. Um, I mean, obviously, when you have cats and dogs barking and meowing all over the place, like you, we get a lot of practice on our own stuff. Uh, but the reason why I like both of these companies is twofold. One, I feel like people should have a better understanding of what they want to do and a clearer game plan into doing those things. And then two, I also feel like they should have an idea of what is absolutely required for them to do and then what they can delegate to someone else. And I just found it easier to be that person that they delegated to. That's that's really cool. So it seems kind of like uh, the two are related because they're they're really at the bottom of it. They're about productivity, aren't they? Absolutely. And and the the dream goal is to one day kind of dis not distance myself physically from from J and J Media, but to kind of distance myself from the day to day. A lot of the like actually doing the editing and hire editors to come in and, and do editing and hire content and you know copywriters to come in and, and write copy and and do these things so that I can focus on helping people through coaching, which is, you know, my passion. So for me, I want to help teach people how they can do better things, but I also want to provide them with a resource that they can use that is trusted so that they know that the stuff that they are letting go of, because that's that's the hardest part about productivity, especially if you're a creative person. When you are the person doing absolutely everything, the hardest thing to do is give away some of that control. So for me, if it's if I can help ease that process and give them a source that they can trust, then I feel like it'll it'll make the task of letting certain non-critical, you know, operations, letting those things go and let, you know, delegate those to someone else. If I can provide that someone else for them and I'm already trusted by the person, then I feel like I have a better chance of actually helping them be more productive. Yeah, I, I like it. Have Have you heard of the concept of productized services? I haven't. That that sounds interesting, though. Product productized. Okay, I, I have to figure out how to Google it first. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is something I probably learned at uh, about at MicroConf. But the the notion is that you take something that is more or less a consulting business. And then you use software to automate away as much of it as possible, if that makes sense. Hmm. So in your case, like J&J Media, uh, that might be to, you build a system to basically accept the, you know, the creative input, whether that's the audio file on one end, and then basically figure out what the workflow is in terms of like, maybe getting it edited or designed or whatever that is. And then produce the output on the other end and and basically to the customer it's like a it's like a, a service to them but on kind of the, the back end of it you 
you basically get automated so that it's not a huge time investment and you can basically have kind of like you said you can have uh people who work under you handle kind of delegate and specialize in different areas and so on and so forth so in a way we are kind of doing that especially around our transcription services like we don't sit there and, and like type each word you know line by line you know we we have transcription services that we use that i mean that we pay for um and part of that payment you know well actually all of that paying is passed on from the the customer but we're running that we're maintaining that and then at the end of the day we're still going back through it to verify and, and update and improve that system and and i i like this idea um i'm actually on productize and scale.com with uh, brian castle hmm. seems pretty interesting i need to need to reach out to him <laughs> and learn a little bit more about this but even even with that and that's something that that we try to you know that i try to teach in coaching is like come up with a system and and that's not to say that my system is completely made up systems change you know if, if you thought about when was the last time you purchased a piece of software that didn't come with an update you know you have to be updating you have to be maintaining your system otherwise it will crash you will find bugs and you know that's how we become unproductive as we keep trying to do the same thing even though we know it's not working <laughs> and then and that's why i said it's it's hard to do that when you're inside of the product but when you're looking when you're on the outside looking in it's quite easy to say oh yeah when you do this this happens let's let's stop doing this or let's do this a different way so that we don't get this other side effect that happens and and the nice thing is i'm a developer you know i've you know i've i've been programming for 6 years now so for me it's like i I chose to help developers because I speak the language. <laughs> you know, someone comes to me and says, oh, well, you know, I really have to, you know, we have to write tests. And if we don't write the tests and stuff, it's like, I understand you have to write tests, but you can do things like continuous integration. You don't have to sit there and physically rewrite every single test. Or what does your testing look like? Are you testing the right stuff? <laughs> you know, and and that tends to, to really go well with, with developers and developer teams because, they know that their problems are being heard by someone who understands. Um, the worst thing that I, I see a lot is you have productivity coaches that don't understand the market that they work in. So like if me, who's a developer, is trying to coach a CEO on how to be a productive CEO, that's not going to work <laughs> because I don't know what it takes to be a productive CEO. I know what it takes to be a productive business owner because I own a business, but... I've never had to be a CEO. I've never had to have shareholders that I ultimately report to. I've never had to manage, you know, what my my stock reporting looks like. So there are certain things that I can't teach. But what I can do is I can talk to a developer about, hey, you know, what do you do when you have to have your phone on 24-7 because if something breaks, you have to be there within 15 minutes. You know, I can talk about that because I've been in that position before. I've been in that exact position. So I can give the feedback on what I did, why it did work or didn't work. And I feel like people are able to relate to that better than when you have someone that's just talking because like, oh, well, I'm the coach, you know, listen to me. That's like if you have a soccer coach trying to teach people how to play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Some things can transfer, not everything. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's, you're dead on that it's good to have somebody come in and see from an outside perspective, 
like offer their opinion about what you're what you're doing because it's so easy to lose sight of you know I'm, i have all these habits but what are the and rituals but what are the point of it what's the value i'm getting out of it you, you've you can easily forget that and keep doing it and not even know that the value is long gone. Definitely. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Like a lot of uh, companies that do agile, like they're, they're going through a ritual, but they are not necessarily getting any value out of it, or at least not the value they should be getting out of it. And unless you have somebody on the outside saying, whoa, wait, you're spending, you know, four hours of meetings a week and you call that agile? That's that's not right. <laughs> the thing that gets me about a lot of agile and scrum teams is do they 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 should look at their turnover. <laughs> like that's something that I've noticed. Like agile and scrum teams tend to have some of well, I guess people that incorrectly do agile and scrum tend to have the worst turnover and it's because they're not you know if you're doing scrum you're not evaluating your points correctly you're overworking employees like most of my coaching clients come from companies that do agile or scrum and i think scrum is probably more but that's just because you know they're overworked and when you have someone that's like oh i'm supposed to do x number of points and it's like but what does that even, what does that mean? What, like, who who says that this one task is this many points? And then you start looking at it and they go, oh, well, this is just what the person thought it would be. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Part of Scrum is going back and doing your your retrospective. You know, you, you're supposed to go back and say, like, okay, this really should have been this many points and not this many points, and here's why. And you start building the foundation behind that so that in the future you can accurately assign points and i think that companies and you know we were talking about earlier companies like just not (laughs) just being absolute ridiculous with the way that they hire people like things like that need to be brought up you need to say like hey are comfortable working in a scrum system managing x number of points because for me if someone says that i have to do 15 points of work a week if I don't know what that means, I'm setting myself up for failure. And if I don't know what that means and I get the interview, one of the first things that I'm going to ask is what does 15 points look like? Because so many people just jump in and then they're like, oh yeah, I'm working, you know, 12 hour days because we have, you know, we have an update that we have to put out on Tuesday and it's Sunday. So I'm going into work anyway. That's, that's just unbelievable. That's, that's just garbage because they're one, they're estimates. So I don't see how it's reasonable at all to expect you anybody clear a certain number of points a week. That's just crazy. What if something comes up? What if something changes? What if it turns out that a ticket isn't possible to actually do, right? That happens all the time. Like, oh, oh yeah, it turns out that uh, that, that thing you asked for is... Uh, NP hard to implement his algorithm. So uh, we can't do that unless we have, you know, $10 million to run a server all day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't understand companies that, that want developers to work like they're assembly line workers. It's, it 
it's absolute insanity. And this is how how uh, software products end up being these wells of technical debt, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is where this is where a lot of companies like you can usually see what it is like what the goal of the company is based on how the team is managed. I see a lot of companies that you know that they're trying to get hired, like they're 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 not hired, they're trying to get acquired. It's like it's a tech acquisition for them. So it's like we need to show that we know as much as we do in this area. We need to show that we're actively working in this area. It does the product itself doesn't really matter as long as we show that we are you know, the furthest ahead in this product because our goal is to get purchased by Alphabet or our goal is to get, you know, built and thrown into Google, you know, or thrown into Apple. And, you know, it's funny because yeah. Apple acquires, what, four companies a year roughly, and there are thousands and thousands of companies out there that are all doing the same thing. So... Instead of hedging your bets on getting acquired, why not build a product that you care about? Build a product that's going to make an impact and actually nurture that product. You know, I I have uh, one of the uh, podcasts that I listen to a lot, and I say that now as I'm blanking out on it, <laughs> um, People Who Code. Um, and, and one of the things that they, they did was they spun off like another podcast called Parent Driven Development. And they, they bring up the argument about hiring parents, hiring mothers to be developers because they inherently, you know, they instinctually have these nurturing policies that, you know, that they live by, you know, as, as a new father, I have certain things, you know, that I have just instinctually just, they just started happening. Like my daughter was born and now everybody that I see that's dressed scantily is just like, no, you need to put something else better on. Like, you know, like I turned, I turned into my dad. Like it's, it's crazy, (laughs) but these things happen and they happen out of nurture because you care, you start to care about something. And by hiring more mothers, what you get is people who, who care about their code like they care about their kids. And by hiring parents, you get you get those same values. Uh, a mother knows, like, I got to pick my child up at, like, 3.30. If I'm not there by 4, they're calling, like, CPS on me. So you have someone who inherently knows about meeting deadlines. You know, you, you know they actually care about hitting those deadlines. Not because it just affects their, you know, their outside life. But because they're, they have been kind of trained in the world to just say, you have to do these things by a certain time or there are negative consequences. So by hiring people like that, there is less of needing to enforce certain things like that because you're already getting, you're already going to get that behavior. You don't have to enforce it. You're, you're going to get it. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that it. It's such, um, I don't even know where to begin. Like our our industry is so messed up when it comes to to women and parents in general. It's it's absolutely it's it's insane. Even if there wasn't this potential 
benefit to hiring mother programmers like we should there should definitely be more mother programmers in the world like it just makes no sense that they're they're driven out of the field just because they're a parent that's ridiculous i don't i don't understand uh how people who basically you know oh your position is gone when they come back from maternal leave how do they live with themselves it's awful I don't, I don't know, man. That is, that is something that, you know, I, I interviewed uh, Myra Benjamin. She's the executive director of engineering for Pandora. And uh, that episode is actually coming out this Monday. Um, So I'm excited about that. That is definitely probably the highest paid (laughs) position that I've interviewed (laughs) for the podcast. Yeah. So that's cool. But one of the things she mentioned was, you know, she's been, she's been doing it for 30 plus years. And I was like, well, what have you noticed? And she goes, I'm one of the only people left. (laughs) Like, like everybody that I started with left, they got out of the, the, you know, the industry. And it was like, well, why, you know, why did you, why did you stay? And then why do they leave? And then she just said, because the companies demanded so much of them that they weren't able to, they weren't able to be mothers and be developers at the same time. And she said it was her having a daughter that actually gave her the courage and the grit to actually continue to, to fight through all of the, the BS that she had to, to get to where she was. And like, it just, it like clicked for me. It's like, Oh wow. So you have this thing outside of work that makes you want to work harder inside of work. And it's like, but at the same time, companies are wanting you to devote all of your energy inside of work so that you deprive yourself from the things outside of work. <laughs> yeah, it's, and that's just, frankly, it's dumb. It's the dumb philosophy. You, you're basically, if you sleep deprive your entire workforce and make sure they have no hobbies outside of work, you're just going to have a bunch of sleepy robots working for you. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it, it makes no sense. Like there's plenty of research showing that somewhere between 30 and 40 hours of work a week and your basically, your productivity is like basically just drops through the floor. It's, it, it goes away. Like you can spend hours working on a problem that, you know, on a Monday you can probably, you know, maybe fix in 15 minutes. I don't know. That might be an exaggeration, but well, it's it's not an exaggeration though, because I mean that's one thing that I learned really quickly. You know, working on on trying to build websites and stuff. You know, for for my business and like the reason why we didn't spin up a WordPress site or a Squarespace site was because I knew that in order for something to be successful, you have to you have to know it, you have to feel it, and I've had this inherent problem. The best website that I've ever maintained was a Pelican site. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Python or not, but it's a static website generator. And, oh, nice. and basically like I give it markdown, I tell it to run, it generates HTML, which is great. The problem is that it doesn't do that well for podcasts. And, and it's just because, you know, the RSS feeds for podcasts are different than the ones for blog posts. There's a lot of similarities, but there are some differences. And 
there isn't much work in the area of JSON feeds yet either, which is a, a you know a growing thing. People are trying to really bring support for JSON feeds. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to build my own. <laughs> and, you know, I, nice. I, I knew that in that process, it was going to be like, okay, this is going to be a full-time job in itself. You are going to have to build this thing, and then you're going to have to maintain it because if anyone else starts using it, you are now on the hook to maintain it. And I mean, of course, you can open source it, and, and I, I fully intend to do so once I feel like it is adequately tested and, and well-documented. But at the same time, I I chose to do that because there's a level of intimacy in working with a product. One of the things that... Um, are you familiar with the, the application Evernote? I used to work for Evernote. Really? Oh man, yeah. I, I gotta watch what I say then. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> no, you go, you go right ahead. It's okay. I know it has faults. So Evernote, if I if I and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the original vision of Evernote was to be a hundred year company, a century company. That's right. They wanted to they wanted to have a company whose product lasted one hundred years. And to me, I feel like they went the absolute opposite direction the second that they started adding a lot of unnecessary features. And, and that's a pretty popular you know, sentiment right now. Um, the idea that I loved about Evernote was that the CEO of the company was one of the, the primary developers of the application. I think that had the company scaled a little bit slower not tried to appeal to absolutely everybody and created a solid, stable product that focused on a few core things. We believe that you should have tags that should make finding information accessible. We believe in having different notebooks because you have different lives, you know, different parts of your life that should be segmented. And we believe that you should be able to find your content regardless of what device you're using and what type of file it is. I think if they would have focused on those three things and those three things only and provided the best experience in those three areas, they would have a better chance at being a hundred year company. But the, the CEO left originally and in his words were, I, spent less and less time working on the product and more and more time working on the business. And that became a problem. And that is something that, you know, my company, I'm trying to avoid. I am, I'm making it so that like, I know the product inside and out because I used, I used Evernote for five years. Evernote was, it was an amazing tool, but once a lot of things that came in because their appeal to whether it was a shareholder or, you know, we have to get more, we have to get more clients. We have to get more clients. We have to get more clients. You know, we have to get more daily active users. Once that started happening, the people who were already using the program, the people that swore by Evernote, I had 13,000 items in Evernote. I stopped. I literally just declared bankruptcy deleted everything, canceled my account because it became oh, so man. much of a hassle to get that information because they had stopped caring about the core product.
I I hear you. I I think that they've they're starting to correct this. Um, to all my my friends still at Evernote, I think think things are looking better. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. They, I I would say it's maybe less of focusing on the business inside the product and more about having too many different products that aren't necessarily related and don't have synergy. Yeah. Um, so I, when I worked there, I worked there in Austin office and I worked on sketch when they acquired sketch. Oh, I love sketch. Yeah. Such and, a great uh, tool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still use it. Um, and I worked on integrating sketch into the iOS Evernote client. And then I worked on scannable. Um, Another so, tool I've used <laughs> a lot. Cool. Awesome. That's so good. thank you. Thank you for for all of the work that you put into uh, two products that were absolutely wonderful. Cool. But you know, they had so many other so many other things going on that I think that they yeah, like you said, they kind of everybody got distracted. They had the whole Evernote market where they sold backpacks and books and pens and water bottles and all sorts of different stuff. And man, that stuff, the products were amazing. They were super cool. But I can't help but kind of agree with you that if they'd taken that effort and that thoughtfulness and put it instead into the clients, it probably would have made for, for a better company. But this is, this is a problem with a little bit with VC funding that you have to, you have to grow. You have to grow. You have to get. You have to be a, a big. You have to fatten the unicorn, right? Yep. Well, and that's that's why you know everything that I'm doing is has been bootstrapped. It's been <laughs> even down to the code because the code uses Bootstrap for its design. <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> but nice. but like I I I just I told myself like you know I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I have to provide for anyone other than my family. And if that means that our company can only accept, you know, 10 clients a year, then we only accept 10 clients a year. Now that that might affect our pricing model, but you know, right now our goal is we do a lot of podcast work and um, we do a lot of J&J media work so that we can be extremely selective in our coaching and that we can be affordable. We charge $45 a call. Like that is unheard of in the coaching arena. Like how long are your calls? Yeah, as long as they need to be. Oh man, Jay. So I think Patrick McKenzie will assassinate me if I don't say that you need to charge more. $45 is that's I, just that's not enough. Now I know the coaching can get into ridiculous territory, but I'm pretty sure your time's worth a lot more than that. No, and and I agree that it is, and that's okay. <laughs> because and, well, and here's and and here's why though. Here's why because okay. everyone that I've talked to has, has said the exact same thing. You need to charge more. You need to charge more. <laughs> I want to help junior developers. A junior developer has so much on their mind that when I tell them I need you to pay one hundred and fifty dollars an hour. For me to sit down and talk with you, probably about the total of four hours a month. I'd say on average, 
we talk for about four hours a month on the phone. Now, through Slack and everything else, you know, we're probably triple that. But that's stuff that I'm doing regardless. I'm going to be in Slack. I'm going to be helping people. I'm going to be on Twitter giving people information. The fact that I know that I help somebody means the world to me. That in itself serves as a paycheck. And again, the bulk of my business comes from J&J Media. There, yes, we are charging competitive rates. Well, we charge competitive rates that we can remember. I, I, I use the rule of 45. <laughs> so, so like everything is like $45 an hour, $45 for this, 45. 40, our transcription is 40 is. 40 cents a minute. <laughs> so it's it's like <laughs> or 45 cents a minute. So it's like I, I couldn't I didn't want to have I have ADHD, man. I can't think about too many things. I'll I'll get lost. So I had to I had to figure a way to make it competitive yet also make it you know reasonable and easy to remember. But for me, I, I but for me like coaching, I want to help people. I want to see people helped. I know that I'm not going to be able to help everybody, but I also know that the more people that I can help, the better that my product will be. Now, if Google calls me and says, hey, we want you to come and, you know, talk to our engineering team, there's no way I'm charging them $45. Like, that's not going to happen. They're, they're going to get the, you know, coaching, uh, doing a team conference, you know, rate of $15,000. Oh, $40,000. You're going to get confused yeah, with fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $45,000. Yeah, yeah. $40, no. $40, perfect. You know. $45,000. <laughs> $45,000. Perfect. Yeah. But that's yeah. the but that's the thing is I'm not I'm not coaching individuals to make money. There are plenty of other ways that I can and I actively do to make that money back. But to me, I can't get to the senior developer managers until I get to their junior level developers because the junior developers will start doing better. And when they go, hey, you know, you've, you've been doing really good the past few weeks. What's changed? Oh, well, I got this coach that, you know, he's really been helping me out. He's been helping me see, you know, things a little bit better. And then the senior developer says, oh, well, let's get everybody else in on that. It, it's it's easy for me. Like, it, it's, a, it's a no-brainer for me to be like, hey, I'm going to make it so that even a junior developer can afford my rates because those are the people that need it most. The CEO doesn't need coaching. He's the CEO. He can hire another CEO if he really wants to. <laughs> like, huh. I always say, like, the people that run the company are not the executives, it's their assistants. Because their assistants know everything about how the company actually runs and the CEO just comes in and makes the tough decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's coming, you know, my wife is an executive assistant. Like, she knows, she knows how to run the business. <laughs> like, I fully trust her when... I don't do invoicing. I let her do invoicing because she will do it right. I will screw it up. <laughs> so <laughs> she's like, let me have this before you break something. And I go, yes, dear, you're right. And, and, but it's, it's that mentality of if I get the people that actually know what they're doing, the people who are, who are hands in on the product, they will eventually get me to where I need to be speaking to make the thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm not trying to be a millionaire. I'm trying to pay my mortgage. I'm trying to pay my car note. And I'm trying to make sure my daughter goes to a decent school if she wants to do that. I'm a college dropout. I dropped out of school. I joined the military. I want to make a business that caters to people who are just like me. People who have the passion to learn, be more productive, 
and not let things like a piece of paper stop them from getting a job. I could not get a developer job. I've been developing, I've been writing my own code for six years. I've done podcasts on coding. I've done YouTube series on coding. I've worked with many coding communities. I have taught coding to people before, but every company, every major company that I applied to said, oh, you don't have a college degree. And it's like, yeah, but I have seven deployments. <laughs> like what, I've a, proved... what a shame. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've proven that I can do the work. I do the work for no pay just because I find it interesting. <laughs> but at the so, same time, a piece of paper prevents a lot of people from moving forward. And it's my it's, goal to kill that. Oh, it's astonishing to me. Um, some of the smartest people I know don't have a degree in, in the field they work in. Some of them don't even have degrees at all. Like, I, I don't know. There's this myth that people with computer science degrees are are somehow better programmers than others. But I, I don't know. I think it relates to me to my passionate passionate hate for um, data structure and algorithm interviews. I think, which is in my mind totally built just to keep people who aren't CS majors out of the industry. It's kind of like a almost like a hazing ritual to make sure that uh, you know you came from one of these CS programs. Um, I, I personally, I have a, an electrical and computer engineering background, so I, you know, I'm I did some data structures stuff, but you know, not much. I don't remember how to how to do anything, but maybe a linked list, an array. <laughs> I can't, you know, I only know how to implement the very most basic data structures because who who needs to develop a new data structure in building an iPhone app? It's, it's so rare. If I need to do that, I'll just go buy the book or do a lynda.com course or go to Stack Overflow or, yeah. or buy a library that I can just pay for and hook up to my app that'll, that'll invert the binary tree for me. And and I think it's interesting that the you know and I know this took like a completely wild turn, but the the idea that someone who goes out on their own like I get what you're saying is if there's a standardized program that certifies that this person has at least been taught all of these things, okay yeah sure whatever that's great, but who's to say that you can't just ask the person <laughs> like. Hey, what do you know about this? And, and and the thing is, in the military, like one thing that I loved about the military was we didn't have time to sit there and ask questions. Like you saw the problem. You have to figure out how to solve that problem. Uh, one of my favorite, one of the the coolest things I ever did. We were in, we were in the beaches of Thailand and we were doing a joint exercise with Thai military. And this is all, this is like a normal thing they do every year. So I'm not like, I'm not revealing any us secrets or anything but there was a typhoon that was set to hit in about 48 hours so our our practice exercise became a real mission it was like a hey congratulations you've been upgraded we need you to dump all the things that you were going to do and start doing this real live thing because people's lives are going to be on the line in two days and we there wasn't a hey call this person you can't call somebody from a satellite phone in the middle you know when there's a typhoon between you and <laughs> and the headquarters 
you know, you can try. We did try. I spent 48 hours, all 48 of those, you know, 48 out of the 72 hours to getting everything set up and ready. I probably had about three hours of sleep in the 48 hour period and we got it done. I can't tell you how we got it done, but I can tell you that it worked. And at the end, we documented everything. We saved logs and we created a bunch of configuration scripts that we hoped that we would never have to use again. But if it did happen, we were ready. And no matter there's no level of college education that can prepare you for that. Like when when you have lives on the line, like a few months later, we were we were literally, you know, having to identify bodies. We were having to help rebuild homes. We were we were doing things based on what had happened. And it could have been worse had we had not done our job. And I'm sorry, you can't get that in college. There, there's no level that equates to that. Oh, oh, you failed your final. Who cares? I've watched I've watched people's houses get ripped into pieces because of tsunamis. That giant 9.0 earthquake that hit Japan. I lived in Japan at the time, <laughs> so I I had to find people's photographs and put them on a table and that'd be the only thing that they had left of their home and their life. So oh. for me, like there is nothing in the developer world that I can't figure out. And that's how I go into each problem. It might take me a while. It might take me a few hours. It might take me a few days, but if I really need to figure it out, I'm going to figure it out because I have definitely had to figure out things that had a lot more importance. <laughs> yeah, people underestimate the importance of persistence to a software developer because there is stuff that just doesn't work and you have to try 300 different things to get, to get it to work so you can ship your app and you, you have to be willing to sit down and try 300 things. Like there's just no other way around it. And, and you're right. Like that kind of real world, world experience is a much better filter for things like persistence and focus and being able to, you know, basically get a result by making a plan. Like these, these things are, yeah, they're, you really, can only experience them, I think, in the real world, right? Yeah. Not to say that college is all bad. I mean, there, you know, there's big benefits to college, to society, right? Like one, um, well, I'm sure military service does this too, but it, you know, college brings together groups of people from all around the world and puts them together. And, and some, you know, for many people, it might be the first time they've met somebody from India or Spain or China or Japan or, you know, you know, from the South of the U S or whatever, like, and so there's value there. And there's also value in, you know, getting exposed to history and art and being forced to, to write because <laughs> that's all valuable. But at the same time, and, and again, I, I agree with you that college does have benefits. Um, I also think that someone who desires those things can actively seek it without seeking a college degree. 
Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. And, and that's not even to say, hey, everybody join the military. Like, absolutely not. Like, I hope my daughter does not join the military. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm no longer in the military. But the yeah. the general idea of like, I go to conferences, the two conferences that I've gone to all have been in San Francisco. Well, they've been outside of San Francisco in the Northern Bay Area. And the other one was in Vancouver, Canada. And a lot of that was the price because, you know, I was paying my own ticket. The company that I worked for was not going to pay me to go to a Python conference because I didn't do Python in my day to day. So I bought my own ticket and I went and I met people from all over the world and I keep in touch with them still. And, you know, I have people that I know in the Houston area and in the Austin area and in Florida. And, you know, now I know someone in Minnesota. I know a few people in Minnesota and that's the thing is like I actively seek those relationships. I actively look for those connections. And to me, the desire to to know that, hey, you have this limitation that you can't, you're not going to get this experience one way, but if it's really important to you, you're going to actively seek that thing. To me, that shows a level of character that... I, th- I find favorable in an interview. I want someone that's going to say, hey, if if for some reason my company can't afford to do this thing for me, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I can do it anyway. Oh, yeah. So, okay. People out there who've paid for the uh, the after after show here, this is, this is where you get the value because I did the exact same thing. Um, so... I wanted to go to the uh, to a bunch of conferences um, early in my career. Nobody would pay me to go, and um, yeah, at some point I was like, you know, I guess I'm really in charge of my my own career, and I can go to a conference if I want to, and nobody can stop me. And so I bought a, a ticket to the Business of Software conference, which is not cheap, and. Uh, I flew out to San Francisco, I think, for the first time ever. Got a got a cheap-ish hotel. There aren't many cheap hotels there. I went to it, and it was amazing. Just like you said, met people from all over the world. They're all friendly, all super smart. It's like the, the most amazing thing ever. So no matter what industry you're in, it is almost certainly worth the time and the money, even if you have to pay for it, to go to... A conference that's that's in your area because it'll blow your mind the 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 quality of people who go to conferences is usually uh, there are exceptions but usually a much higher bar than you will get even at you know probably your your colleagues at work like you'll run into ceos and ctos uh, it's amazing and and the thing is even even if you can't afford to go to the conference go to a local meetup if there's a college near you, there will probably be a local meetup. If there isn't, put it out on Twitter. Hey, who wants to start a local meetup where we talk about this thing? You know, I think that people people by showing, like when you show that something matters to you, all that does, like people tend to gather around that. You know, one of the things that I take pride in is I am passionate about helping people. Even if I can't be the person that helps them, 
the reason I started this podcast is I wanted to meet a bunch of different people. I wanted to have interactions with a bunch of different people doing a bunch of different things. That way, if someone came to me with a question that I didn't have an answer to, I could say, I'm not the best subject on, you know, who's hiring in this area. But I know someone that has, you know, a a Twitter handle that says hire an app developer. <laughs> Maybe I can reach out to them. And, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that by knowing what I wanted to accomplish, that made it a lot easier to go out and accomplish those things. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. Do you, do you think most people know what they want to accomplish in their career? I think with a little bit of help, they can figure it out. Um, one of my early mottos in productivity and tech's career was like, Everybody knows, like being productive is just doing the things, it's getting more accomplished while doing less, <laughs> per se, like doing just <laughs> enough to get the things done. Like it's, whether that's through automation, whether that's through delegation, you know, if you have a huge thing, a huge task that you want to get done, you, the most productive way to do that requires the least amount of effort. <laughs> So I tell people like, you often know what it is that will be productive for you. You just don't know that you know it. <laughs> so for me, I want, that's like the very first, like the very first call that I do with my clients is I make them take a personality test because I want to make sure that I am helping them in a way that they're going to be, re you know, receptive to and not, you know, buck against the entire process. Yeah. But then I also get to their goals. They define their goals, not me. It is, what do you want to accomplish? And then we just keep breaking it down and breaking it down until we get to the core fundamental you know, principle that is what they want to do. I had, I had an issue um, with a client on this earlier. They were like, I think I want to do a newsletter. It's like, okay, why do you want to do a newsletter? I'm like, well, because it's a great way to get contacts. It's like, well, is is gaining contacts, you know, is growing an email list the end goal? And they were like, I, I don't know. I'm told that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, but is that what you think you should do? And they're like, I don't know. And it's like, well, why are you doing what you are doing? And they're like, because I enjoy doing it. I said, okay, well, it's perfectly fine if you want to do a newsletter, but if your newsletter is going to be, hey, buy my book, hey, do this, hey, do that, that's going to be boring because that's not what your goal is. Your goal is, hey, I did this thing, check it out. Hey, this is awesome. Hey, this is what I learned in the process of doing that thing. And people people can tell when you are... some. I don't subscribe to many newsletters, but the newsletters that I do subscribe to are people who are passionate about the things that they're doing. And... If anyone subscribes to my newsletter, you know, like I put a whole lot of asides in my newsletters. Everything is inside of parentheses. That's like actually because this is the, <laughs> it's always it's like so. I was working on this the other day. Well, if I was being honest, I was playing Hearthstone and watching Netflix. But then this came on. <laughs> you know, like that is that is how I write because my goal isn't 
to gain viewers. My goal is to have an open conversation with people who are willing to listen and that think that they might learn a lesson from the things that I am doing. And I don't have the world's largest newsletter subscription, but I do work for people who have pretty large ones. You know, some of my clients have tens of thousands of people that are subscribed to their mailing list. But the thing is, I write the newsletters. So it's like, in my mind, it's like, okay, what is this person trying to get across? Let me focus on that. And then I do it. And then people reply back saying, I actually enjoy getting these newsletters. Like, how, how often do you hear that? How often do you hear people saying, I really enjoy like actually reading what you have to say, thinking that it's the other person. And and, and they'll tell you like, oh, sorry. I mean, we're just co- we're just compiling all the stuff that we're doing because we're doing so much stuff. But to answer your question, I think people do know what they want. I don't think that people know that they know, but I think <laughs> people do know. <laughs> yeah, there's probably something to that. Sometimes... I think sometimes maybe people are embarrassed or, I don't know, shamed or or whatever about work. I think people don't think that what they really want has value. And that's that's something that I hate. I, I like I despise that like actual thing. Like when people are like, I want to build a thing. Okay, build that thing. But what if nobody buys it? That's not what you said. You didn't say you want a bunch of people to buy a product. You said you wanted to build a thing. Build a thing. <laughs> you know, if if you want people to buy a product, then go on Amazon, look at what's selling the best, and then just buy a bunch of those things and resell them. Because that is the easiest way to do that. Anybody can be a reseller. But if you want to be a creator, then create. And create for the sake of creating and not for the sake of selling a product. Do, do you know Jason Cohen of WP Engine? Yes. I don't okay. I don't personally know him, but <laughs> but I, I know of the name, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean his I mean I don't think this is unique to him, but his process for starting a business is, you know, he has some inkling of a product idea and then he just goes talks to people, hundreds of people. Um Actually, this happened to me. I, I visited him one time, and he's like, "Oh, John, we're thinking about doing this thing. Do you ever use this thing?" And he, had, he whipped open the spreadsheet, and started typing in my answers into the spreadsheet. And it's like, "Oh, how much would you pay for that?" Uh, so you know, before he writes a line of code, he he goes and he tries to find if somebody actually is going to pay him for it. And if they say yes, then he asks them for a check right there for that, that product because, you know, people will humor you and say yes, but then not buy it in the end. So there, that that's kind of the middle of those two extremes you noted there. Like one extreme, you just make something because you want to make it, but maybe you'll secretly be unhappy if nobody buys it. And then the, the other extreme is you find, you know, something that people definitely already want and you just, you know, rebrand it or resell it or, you know, whatever. That's uh, so somewhere in the middle of that is like you optimize, you find something that, that people have paid you for because uh, they want it so much that they don't care that you don't have it yet. They just need it. Yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. Well, and, and I mean, that's, that's exactly where I am trying to get to with, with coaching is 
And, and like when you're telling me I wasn't charging enough, it was, I, I literally reached out and said, Hey, if we were to have a conversation, like if, if, if I said, John, I want you to be on this podcast, you know, I do a podcast and I, and I think you'll gain a lot of value from it. But if I would approach you and said, Hey, I want you to give me $150 to sit down and have a conversation with me. And we're going to record it and we're going to put it on a podcast. You'd probably be like, no, <laughs> like what is <laughs> like, like, yeah, that sounds great and all, but no, <laughs> like, why would I, why would I sit down and have a conversation that I had to pay for? And, and I well, told people, what's that? Well, here's another funny thing though. If you'd emailed me and offered me, you offered to pay me $150, I'd probably also say no, because um, you know, it would have been maybe, I don't know, insulting or just weird. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of like, it's it's all kind of funny, isn't it? But at the same time, like now I've, I've enjoyed, you know, see what here, an hour and 45 minutes of recorded conversation that not only helped, you know, it helped me a little bit because I got to, to vent a little. <laughs> You know, that makes me happy. You know, I also learned a lot about the process and, and some things that I, I had never thought about. Um, and, and honestly, there are like things that I said that I had never thought about because I had never had the question posed. And to me, this conversation was worth that. It I didn't pay $45. I didn't pay $150. I paid two hours of my time, which... You know, how much, how much is that? <laughs> how much does that cost? Yeah. Well, we're, we're each benefiting, right? We're both learning new things and, and, uh, kind of processing our own thoughts and thinking about how, you know, how do we really feel about these issues and how do we really, you know, are our preconceptions, are they correct or should we rethink them? So there's, yeah, there's a lot of value to be had there. But, but that's um, why I charge $45 a call instead of, and I'm bringing it all the way back to the original question. <laughs> like that is, that is why I charge $45 a call because the amount of value that I'm going to get from that conversation is worth more than the guaranteed check at the end of the day. The $45 is just to make sure that they're putting some skin in the game so that I don't get blown off because I used to, I used to literally like, I think I was charging like five bucks a month for a membership and the membership got you a free call and people would never take, you know, they would never take me up on it. So I was like, okay, well, fine. I'm going to make you pay for the call then. Cause then I don't have to sit there and block that time out. So, yeah. And, and, and no, you know, people told me like, Hey, you need to charge more. And I did. And I had people that paid more, but the problem was I was, I was too busy trying to give them $150 worth of a conversation instead of focusing on just helping them. I can provide $45 worth of value. Like, I, I feel like like you just hearing me talk now for the last two hours, do you believe that if we came in with a, a physical plan that I could provide you $45 worth of conversation? Oh, I think, you know, if... If we were doing consult, if you were doing consulting with me right now, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, well, it's so I think it all depends on where you are in your career, right? And I think you alluded to this: what you can, what can you afford, and 
what things you value. So, you know, if, if you were helping me figure out how to make uh, my development process and my job more efficient and it, and you're, you're able to reliably do that job, how is that, even if it only took an hour, how is that not worth a thousand dollars to me or $5,000? If you can make me 10% more efficient, like it's, you know, the, the limit of that value is probably 10% of my salary, right? Like, I'm not saying you can necessarily charge that, but you can charge <laughs> half of that or something like that. But the thing with that then is if I'm charging you a thousand dollars and you say, okay, I'm going to give you a thousand dollars because I, I really believe that you're going to help me. I have to then worry about providing you with a thousand dollars worth of content. And That's if I get, if I get to $900, but I don't hit a thousand, then I have failed you as your coach. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that is your concern is it's real. And, you know, a lot of consultants would not be as ethical as you are and wanting to, you know, as diligent in providing the value they want to provide. Um, actually, so let's, so I don't necessarily, I don't think it's wrong. I don't, so, if you're charging $45 for a junior level developer because you want to help them, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think that's, that's great. Um, I, I actually sponsor a uh, scholarship for, for different, two different conferences um, pretty much more or less every, every year. Um, and, you know, basically for these expensive conferences to get somebody a, a ticket who wouldn't otherwise be able to go. Um, and they've actually done just what you said. They charge the person like $20 or something like that because they want to make sure that the person actually is, is not going to blow off the conference because somebody else, you know, can go and take advantage of that. So complete waste, right, to, to have somebody not, not go. So that I, I agree with that totally. Um, that said, um, so, so do you know Joel Spolsky? Have you heard that name before? Yeah. Okay. I sometimes worry I'm getting really old when I talked about Joel Spolsky and people are like, who? <laughs> I'm like, you're in software. You should know who Joel Spolsky is or I'm old. <laughs> and the cool kids don't know. So um, at uh, one of these first conferences I went to, actually, Joel talked about this very thing that he sees in software businesses is that um, people, you know, want, they they try to help the world by charging a very small price for their product when in fact they can do a lot more good for the world by charging as much as they possibly can because by charging as much as they possibly can um, they can they can use that money to make other better things they can hire people they can donate it all to charity if they want to um, they can expand their market to so they can give this you know they can give away their software to free to, to, you know, not for profit organizations or uh, there's all sorts of things you can, you can do that money and it's not necessarily greedy. Um, but a lot of people in software, they think that uh, wanting a higher salary or charging more for a software product or is being greedy. But a, a lot of times, uh, you know, do you, like, for instance, do you really think that, that I don't know, Google or Facebook is going to do something 
better with an extra $20,000 than you would do with that extra $20,000? I don't necessarily believe that. What do you think? Uh, you know, that is a tough question. I, I honestly think that they probably would because I wouldn't know what to do with an extra $20,000. <laughs> You know they could hire would, they no. could hire someone to come up with an answer for that. But I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> like for me, and this is why I, I definitely say that. Like, yes, my coaching business is a loss leader. Like I, I fully understand that. If if a company wanted to hire me to come and talk to their team, I'm going to charge them, a, you know, a competitive rate. I'm going to charge them industry standard. Maybe even more. If they if they came to me and asked, I'm gonna charge them as much as I physically can. <laughs> like you said, I'm gonna charge as much as possible, but I'm going to do my best to provide them with that material. And yeah. for my media company, again, we are competitive. Now we I will say that you know the rule of 45 does make us a little bit cheaper in some areas, but it also makes us a little bit more expensive in others. And we're not doing anything that that person can't do on their own. Like we are providing them a service. Like it is, it is a convenient service. So if you have the expendable income, then absolutely let us do this thing. But in the in the actual heart of coaching, think of my coaching as my charity. Again, I I am I am helping people for the sake of wanting to help them and nothing else. And I'm only charging them because when I didn't charge them, they didn't show up. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I get it. And I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And if, I guess, I guess you would say is like, if, if I was charging people 45 bucks and they didn't show up at the $45 rate, then maybe I'll charge them 65 bucks next time. (laughs) (laughs) The penalty. Um, yeah, I'm not really trying to beat up on you, but I think this is, this is where all the beautiful and smart, lovely people who who are paying for the, uh, the after show, this is where they get, get some benefit. You're thinking about, uh, you know, if they have some sort of business that they're running, think about how how do they charge their customers? Are they charging enough? Maybe they're not charging the right way. Because, you know, to your point, like, okay, yeah, there's a concern. Am I providing a thousand dollars worth of value for this consultant? But maybe that's not a concern if you're able to say, oh, actually, I'm not going to charge you a thousand dollars. You know, for every uh, thousand dollars in revenue that you make over the next month in addition to what you did last month then you'll give me you know five percent of that or something like that well and And, and i do that for some people when when people ask me to build them a website because they have some product that they want to sell if i fully believe that the product is actually viable i'll build that website for them but at the same time it's like (laughs) i tell them it's like i want 20 percent I'm doing 20% of the upfront work, so I deserve 20% of the profit that you make from it. And if you don't want to give me 20%, well, then you need to pay me more upfront. I, I think a lot of people aren't aware of basically value-based consulting. Um, and really, in all pricing, it, it should, you, you'll do the best if you do it based on, on value, right? Yeah. You, wanna, you want to be, make more money, or you want to be... What's the right way of putting it? You want to be more successful if the customer is more successful. Oh, I think I lost you. Oh, can you hear me now? Yep. 
Cool. Yeah, I was just saying that, that that's that's the way uh, I think companies are most successful is when they they become more successful when the customer is more successful. Oh, absolutely. Well, hey, actually, I I do need to get ready to cut this to a close because it's eight o'clock and uh, my daughter's getting ready to go to bed, and I need to make sure I I go through that process. Oh, that's very important. Yes, and I didn't realize it was so late. I'm sorry about that. Oh, it's okay. No, no, perfectly fine. I've enjoyed the conversation though, and and I, I'm gonna make sure that I keep up with you and keep up with uh, what you're doing on Twitter as well, and and keeping in touch with you too because we need more conversations like this. More yeah, fun. absolutely. I definitely uh, we should keep in touch, and uh, you should go to uh, MicroConf in Vegas so we can we can hang out together with other like-minded people if. When That's is, all your thing. So microconf is only four, or Vegas is only four hours away. When is microconf? Oh, let's see. I bought my tickets last year, so I don't even remember. It's March it's 24. one of the two critical uh, conferences that I have to go to every year. It looks like it's in March. Let's see. Yeah, they have starter edition and growth edition. March 26. Uh, stupid recaptures. <laughs> okay, cool. I have signed up for a early bird or the early, early bird list. I'm not sure if I can. Yeah, my revenue is. Mm, yep. I think the tickets should be should be on sale now. If you go to, go to the website, anyhow, it's one of my favorite conferences. And uh... yeah, that's something that I I think I can do. That that's something. Let me see. I have to check how t how much tickets are, and then I'll have to look at you know how our business is doing. But as long as I can, I can make that work. Cause like I say, Vegas is, is easy for me. I can definitely do Vegas, especially, I mean, we, I have family that lives close enough to Vegas that I can make that happen too. So I don't even have to wind up, you know, paying for hotels and crazy stuff like that. Nice. Nice. It, it's definitely, it's a great, great conference. People come from all around the world. I, I met a freaking amazing, uh, Aussie last year with like just an incredible software product that he's making. Um, I mean, I, this kind of conversation make, uh, kind of lifelong friends. I think it's so good. So good. Mm. Okay. Uh, general. Yeah, Sorry for keeping you. And, uh, it's been a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. All right. I will hope, let me stop all this.